This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Stephen Pimpera, host of the Public Policy Channel. And today we are speaking with Jay Bainbridge and Tamaru Mamo, who are the co-authors, along with Linda Gibbs and Muzzy Rosenblatt, of How 10 Global Cities Take on Homelessness, Innovations That Work, uh, new out from the University of California Press. Jay, Tamaru, welcome. Uh, Tamaru, excuse me, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so if you would, why don't you start off by telling us uh, a little bit about yourselves and perhaps your co-authors and how you all came to work together on this book. Thanks. I'll start. My, so I'm Jay Bainbridge. I'm an associate professor of public administration at Marist College, which is in the Hudson Valley, and also a former assistant commissioner for policy and planning at the New York City Department of Homeless Services, where I worked for about six or seven years. Since I left uh, the city for academia, I've been consulting with Bloomberg Associates on international city homelessness initiatives. And uh, hi, I'm, I'm Tom Rumamo, and I uh, work for Bloomberg Associates, which is a, a pro bono consulting firm that works with the mayors of cities, and I work in the social services practice. And I spent uh, several years as a health advisor to Mayor Michael Bloomberg, mayor of New York City. And, and then I worked for a couple of years for the, the New York City public hospital system called Health and Hospitals. And, uh, and I was the chief of staff to the president of the system. And, uh, and then eventually I came to, to Bloomberg Associates. And, and I guess I'll, I'll introduce the, the, the other authors. I'll Terrific. Just, I can talk a little bit about them. And so, so Linda Gibbs is the, uh, you know, is a quintessential public servant, 30 plus years in, in public service. Uh, she was a former um, New York City deputy mayor uh, for Health and Human Services under Mayor Bloomberg, and uh, and then she she also works at Bloomberg Associates. She's the principal of the social services practice, and uh, and we and, and we work on a variety of issues within that practice, everything from you know fr- from poverty to um, uh, uh, you know disparities to uh, homelessness, which comes up a lot, and, and obviously we'll be discussing. And uh, and Muzzy Rosenblatt is is also a veteran of of city service uh, several years, uh, and he uh, eventually transitioned into uh, leadership of of a non uh, government organization called BRC, which provides services uh, across New York City, a very large so everything from street outreach to uh, shelter services and uh, and housing. And uh, if you see these bright orange 
vests on the New York City subway doing uh, a street outreach. That's that's BRC because they they handle the street outreach for all of the the New York City subway system. So so I, so I have to say you have a very um, we talk about ten cities in the book, but we're we're very New York City biased as well. And and I guess I should I should talk a little bit about how this book came about and how we uh, and 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 why. Yeah, please. Uh, we we worked with with these ten cities. So 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 I, I go back to the the Bloomberg Associates role. So all of these authors have done work for us. Linda and I. It's you know it's our you know th- this is our primary job, and then we've brought uh, you know, Jay and and Muzzy in to uh, to do consulting work in uh, in a few of the cities, and uh, and we work with cities domestic and abroad. So so we're you know, I should list the cities in this book. They, they're, they're, they're very diverse. Uh, you know, Athens, uh, Bogota, Mexico City, uh, you know, Paris. And um, we have uh, uh, Nashville, Houston, L.A., uh, Baltimore, uh, obviously New York City. And, um, and I think that's I think that's it. Edmonton. Edmonton, sorry, Edmonton, Canada. I forgot. <laughs> Poor Edmonton, nope. always nope, getting left out. <laughs> Edmonton's a very interesting city, and 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 we can talk a little bit more about that later. But but so why these cities, and and how did this come about? So so we had been working. Linda and I, and NJ and Muzzy had been working in in several cities through um, through Bloomberg Associates, and and um, you know, it was interesting to when we brought cities together. We would see how uh, it, it was interesting to trade ideas, but but the conversations that happened afterwards were sometimes even more interesting. Sure, they wanted to talk about their work and you know the the impact it was having, and uh, but it was it, but the conversations that happened uh, after those official meetings were conversations about failure and conversations about frustrations. And uh, and and conversations about creative ideas that people wanted to try but weren't sure they can do, and uh, and 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 so it, we thought, okay, what if what if we get everyone together, and um, and and we could, you know, they could bring their their most innovative ideas, um, in some cases even provocative ideas, and um, and present them to each other and get. Uh, the, the unvarnished feedback and um, and critique each other's ideas and so, so we applied for a we applied, uh, applied for a program uh, set in Italy it's it's uh, it's sponsored by the the Rockefeller Foundation and they have this amazing facility in Bellagio Italy where uh, they allow people to hold conferences uh, and you could apply for this program and and, and we did and we got in and so, so we had all these people working in government, often in offices that aren't adequately heated or overcrowded in this like luxurious kind of, you know, villa setting where talking about homelessness. And, uh, but we, you know, we cut them off from the outside world. No, don't bring your phones into these sessions. We're just going to talk about your ideas. And, and so we, so, so that was an amazing process in a whole nother story. But at the end of this convening, uh, you know, uh, one of our co-authors, Linda, she has this gift for being able to synthesize, you know, uh, 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 a whole lot of information. And, um, and she talked about the commonalities of, of the, the experiences 
of these different cities in you know trying to address the the homelessness crisis and um and she's and and you could obviously you, you can imagine the diversity of of you know structural uh, uh you know uh, government and politics and and uh, you know cultural perceptions about uh, about homelessness and just services and poverty in general and rights etc but she she found a way to kind of synthesize these these commonalities uh, in a way that was so compelling that that some of the cities said you, you know it would be interesting if you wrote a book about this and uh, you mind if I jump in camera yeah 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 and so uh, so I'll, I'll yeah, transition I... over to to Jay. So just to add to that, I think it was a big surprise for us, having worked in these cities that were so different, that there were so many commonalities. And we had been experiencing this as we were traveling and working in different places. But what was also surprising is how much the other cities, when they met with each other, were able to speak to each other and relate to each other and and found the sort of the, um, even though their populations uh, as Tamu said, their cultures, their economic resources, uh, the way their governments are structured, even the nature of homelessness in each place and their definitions were all unique from place to place. We found these common barriers. So, you know, whether it be low levels of national initiative, high and shifting needs, uh, citizens who were both uh, played dual roles, being both very critical of homelessness, but also wanting to help. And both, and in all places, limited resources. And so when we brought everybody together, um, we found that in all these cities, to varying degrees of success, leaders were innovating in face of this overwhelming demand, and that we shared a common language and found we were able to learn from each other's successes and failures. And, and, and in the book, I think we're trying to tell the story of homelessness through the stories of these cities and, and their unique their unique perspectives, but yet the, the commonalities that we see as threads throughout. So why don't why don't we stick with sort of the idea, the idea of commonalities? I do want to sort of turn us down the road to thinking about sort of what distinguishes certain kinds of, of cities from others. And 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 if if you would have you think a little bit about causes right and and the, the the focus of the book looks at people who are experiencing homelessness more broadly but a lot of the focus it seems to me is on people who are unsheltered who are living in the street or in or yes. in places that are not particularly designed for human habitation can you talk a little bit maybe bounce back to you tamaru uh, uh and talk a little bit about are, are there common causes? Is there something we can point to across all or most of these cities and say, this is why people wind up living in places that are not designed for human habitation? Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's a really good question. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's complicated. And so I, it, it's interesting about thinking about the commonalities of causes and, um, and and also just the commonalities of of the the, the problem that cities face in addressing homelessness, um, and so you know I, I would say there's these terms. I hate using these technical terms, but the, you know some people use the term social exclusion, um, you know a loss of social networks, and um, I think that's a that's a commonality. And and 
And, you know, there's often problems of, you know, challenges from, from mental illness and uh, addiction uh, that go along with these things. And it's, and it's sometimes tough to say, you know, uh, what came first, you know, and, and, and why. Um, and I think in the United States, and, and Jay can talk about this in much more depth, depth and um, is, you know, it's also, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people who can't uh, afford housing and really struggle financially. And, um, and, and it's easy to say poverty is the cause, but, but actually, you know, it's, it, it, it's actually a, a rare group that moves from poverty to homelessness. And, and it's tough to predict who, who, who is actually going to move. It takes a lot to actually end up on the street. And uh, regardless of the fact that it's, it's, you know, it's difficult for so many families in, you know, in the United States and outside the country to, to find affordable houses and cities. So, so affordability is a huge issue. Um, but, but why people end up on the street is very, is very, is very complicated. So, so Jay, I don't know if you want to add anything to yeah, that. Yeah, you want anything to that, Jay? I, Yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll just give it the bullet points. You know, I think it really runs the gamut, and the reasons are both structural, so racism and gentrification, you know, economic, like Temer said, rise in housing prices, low-wage work and poverty. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, effect of immigration and migration that has led to uh, encampments in many places. And then some of the support system, like health, health care, uh, there's different levels of uh, of addressing healthcare needs, especially mental health needs across the cities, across the world. And then, and then also somewhat of a change in roles of families. So, um, you know, more of a fractured so- social support system, maybe some um, domestic violence. So given that there's many really different causes, I think that's one of the reasons we think why the solutions have to be also dynamic and flexible, and in some ways, courageous. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So why don't we talk about some of those solutions? And it's, it's, I mean, I don't quite know. Maybe, maybe Tom, again, we'll go back to you. Uh, where do you think we should start as we, as we think about maybe, um, uh, either, either what particular cities have in common or things that you think are particularly, uh, useful as, as we think about maybe models or approaches that could be adopted in other locales? What do you, when you think about what, what, what different cities are doing to resolve this, what are the things that jump out as you as the things that we should focus our attention on? Sure. And, and, and so I, I think that the commonalities in what cities, some of the challenges that cities face and what they're doing about it is, um, so because we're talking about cities, uh, oftentimes the, the, the cities don't control uh, you know, many of the, um, many of the services that could end up being solutions like, uh, uh and, um, you know, they, they may not necessarily control the, the healthcare system to connect people to, to mental health care or other health care. And they may not have sufficient resources to, um, to build, uh, affordable housing and, and often, you know, get resources from the, the, the federal government for, 
whether it's uh, uh, public housing you know, vouchers or uh, subsidies from the state. And so the cities don't control all the levers of these systems. And they, so, excuse me, some of those yeah. cities don't even control the shelter systems, right? Absol- those absolutely. Are, Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, often the, yes, continuum of cares or the counties or sometimes, uh, you know, non-government organizations. And, um, and so, so, but the mayors, here's the commonality, the mayors often get blamed and, and often are, or, you know, people expect the mayors to come up with solutions uh, and, and so it's a very difficult uh, task that some mayors, you know, uh, don't want to own uh, because, you know, they, they feel they're, they uh, don't have sufficient resources or tools to address it. But, but here's, here's, a, here's a, like, kind of a, you know, high level, uh, 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 I think, important strategy is because the cities don't own it, they have to bring in many different stakeholders if they want to address it. And I think uh, coming up with a structure where you have a trusted convener, uh, a, a structure where you have, um, you know, not just one person owning this, but everyone agreeing to play a role. And that's different levels of government. And that's people and, and that's, you know, providers and organizations outside of the government. So, so coming up with a system where um, you convene and have a governance structure to oversee uh, uh, strategies to address homelessness—that's a huge thing. You know, it, you know, some would call it leadership. Someone's got to decide to do this. It, it can come from a mayor, and sometimes in cities like Edmonton, it actually comes from a nonprofit who decided just to convene people and you know and, and work towards solutions. But but the the structure, the governance structure that you come up with for you know for for building and implementing uh, uh, and, and evaluating a strategy. You know, that's really important, too, because one thing I can tell you is mayors will turn over and uh, homelessness will not be solved within one term. And so you need these continuing uh, governance structures to, to oversee uh, the, the, the long haul and the continuous work required to address homelessness. And in terms of strategies, it's easy to say housing, but we should say it. Uh, and and yeah. again, not a resource that's completely controlled. Uh, or even partially controlled by some cities, uh, and so, so building affordable housing, uh, uh, housing with supports, supportive services as well, is, is really important. And you know, and, and engaging people who don't trust the government and who may not want to come in, finding a way to engage people in in care, finding a way to engage people. Uh, in case management and uh, and linking into affordable housing is is really important. And then the prevention aspect. A lot of people um, think eviction prevention, but we can't even. We, it, it's 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 hard to say how many people who are evicted even end up being homelessness. I know that it kind of sounds counterintuitive. Well, if you're evicted, you should end up on the street. Well, not necessarily. And so it's it's really complicated. So so prevention work can range from predictive analytics, trying to use data to predict who will be homelessness and and provide services to those families before they end up at the shelter door, before they you know end up on the street. Um, and, uh, and and so that's an important component to preventive strategy. So, so 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 I guess that's how I'd sum it up. Jay, I don't know if you want to add anything else to that. I think yes, we we talk about this as a systems level approach and and uh, and sometimes we even within our group, uh, it's probably not a good use of terms, but we often say that 
homelessness as a topic itself doesn't always have a home. So as you said, sometimes the mayors don't even control the shelters. Those are often um, run by nonprofits and and at the national level as well, um, oftentimes national or local levels, homelessness is either uh, an isolated agency or it's an agency within another agency. It's a department within another agency and doesn't have a lot of pull or strength. But to address the problem, it needs to be elevated to the level where uh, it, as Tamara said, it either at the mayoral level or uh, a, a partner who has a lot of strength to be able to make something happen and see it through over the long term. But I'm so I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of of I'm thinking of San Francisco, right, which yep. is a, a city that uh, arguably has more of that sort of centralized, coordinated control at the city level than do lots of of these other places. Um, but uh, is is notorious, right, in the in the contemporary period in. Uh, its inability to wrap its arms around what continues to be uh, enormously large numbers of people experiencing homelessness in the city. And, you know, part of one of the common explanations for what interrupts the ability of the city to manage the problem is the disproportionate power and influence of wealthy property owners in particular Mm -hmm. that both get in the way of uh, creating more affordable housing and get in the way of erecting shelters. Does that seem like a reasonable read of San Francisco to you? And do you see, and if you do think that's reasonable, do you see that dynamic playing out in other places with, with forces that really wind up being arguably at an even higher level than mayoral control? I don't know who wants to take a first bite at that. Um. I, I don't mind uh, uh, addressing it to, um, to start. And so, yeah, so affordability is certainly part of um, the challenge um, in, in San Francisco. And, and, and yes, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough for someone with a good job to find housing there. And the city does have uh, control of many of the levers uh, of, of resources. Uh, you know, but it's interesting when I, when I, I almost want to veer from San Francisco because I feel like when, when I think of uh, the cities that have that that you know that we worked with in particular, and because I kind of want to highlight them mm-hmm. who's had success, it, it's actually the cities with fewer resources and and less control uh, over uh, the resources. Like Houston and Edmonton are perfect examples, and um, I mean Edmonton has very little. Uh, uh, investment at the city level, I think three percent of the municipal budget, something like that, uh, and um, you know, invested in addressing homelessness, and you know, a lot from the provincial level, uh, a little bit less from the, the federal level, um, and Houston also a very you know small contribution from uh, the city, but what they've done is they've managed to cobble together uh, the different stakeholders who do control the resources including the the private sector uh, to uh, to you know to 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 form these impressive collaborations and and have impact I mean Houston uh, and uh, you know Houston I think has had something along the lines of a, a, a 50 percent 
uh, drop in street homelessness since 2011. And so it's one of the examples of best practices worldwide for addressing homelessness. And, and, and one would never guess this, you know, uh, from, from the amount of uh, resources that actually the, the city invests um, and controls. And in Edmonton, it's the same thing. It's a, a nonprofit overseeing the um, implementation of a strategic plan. And since, uh, you know, I think it's since 2009, they've uh, seen a 43% reduction in people experiencing homelessness. And, um, and again, a, a, you know, very small investment from the city. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's you know, I, I, would, I would caution people not necessarily to make uh, a link between the, the amount of resources and uh, an effectiveness of the strategy. Uh, and, and, and that's why it's so complicated. And, and look at New York too. Like I think Jay can talk about New York and the level of investment. That New I, I want to make sure we get yeah. there. Uh, so Jay, why don't, why don't we talk about New York for a little bit? Okay. Uh, well, so New York um, is an, is a city that um, has actually a very you know relatively low level of street homelessness compared to its population. So it ranks up with some of the better cities in the world with low levels of street homelessness, unlike, say, as you mentioned, San Francisco or Los Angeles, which might be one of the, uh, the cities that has the highest concentrations of street homelessness in the world. And, um, and so New York's story is a little different. It has a right to shelter. That means anybody who comes and shows up and can demonstrate they have no place to stay will be guaranteed a shelter in New York. And, um, and so, so relatively speaking, there are fewer people living on the streets, still far too many. Um, but the big story in New York really is around sheltered homelessness and, and probably a story around homelessness that most people don't realize, which is it's it's largely families, not single Overwhelmingly individuals. Overwhelmingly families, right? It is, yes. Yeah. And so if you look at what is the most common age group in shelters in New York City, it's zero to five. Yeah. And so that's something that people maybe don't understand um, because it's not as visible. So our book is... Uh, is focused, as you said, on the street homeless, more the visible part of homelessness. Um, shelters are a part of, uh, of the solution and having ways to bring people off the street, especially in what we would call um, a low demand setting. So one of the things that New York City has innovated with is something they called safe havens, which allow people to come in to an environment that has less rules. The shelters tend to have more rules and allows them to stay and, and be able to go in and out of the sh in the facility without losing their bed and having a little bit a lower level of demands on the, on the people that are there. And this has been a very, um, a, a very successful approach in New York City to get the people who are sort of the worst street homeless in for a while and then giving them some services and eventually moving them into housing. And Jay, and, what and is the... Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. Jay, what is it? Remind me what the budget is, the approximate budget for, for, for New York City's um, uh, continuum <laughs> it's, of care. It's more than a, oh, the continuum of care is relatively right? low, but the, yes, but the, the New York City itself is very unusual in that the city it's, uh, invests high amounts of its taxpayers' money into right. homelessness. So I was going to, so you were, you were talking about that, that the safe haven model, which, is primarily run by BRC, if I remember correct, right? Which is led by one of your co-authors, Mussy Rosenblatt. Is that right? 
That is right. They um, were one of the starters, but it's now who, spread all over the place. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I, I have vague memories back in the day of, of when that was 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 uh, uh, spinning up. Um, and that's, you know, very much consistent with what I think it is fair to say is now the, the consensus, both among practitioners and researchers, that uh, uh, housing-first strategies are the ones that are most likely to be successful, right? It used to be, and, you know, when I first started doing work in soup kitchens and food pantries in New York in the 90s, it was still sort of during a period in which um, I think probably a majority of shelters, if you had uh, substance abuse issues or a regular user of alcohol, uh, you had to get clean and sober before you could get a bed. Uh, and what the research now tells us is that people can't get clean and sober if they don't have a roof over their heads, right? We've got to sort of create some stability for folks uh, and find some ways in which we can build trust with people uh, who may be living on the streets for what to them are perfectly rational reasons to build trust with them and service providers who historically have often been very unwelcoming, right? The shelter, you know, closes at seven in the morning. You have to go out into the street and you can't come back until closing at night and have to reapply, right? Do you see more global cities adopting those kinds of approaches where it is less, where it is more carrot and more stick to be crude about it? More carrot and less stick, excuse me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we should recruit you for, for <laughs> your expertise. Uh, so, so the two stories of that we, the, the cities that Tamru mentioned where there was success, Edmonton and Houston, both have what they call housing first and what uh, some, in the international world often they call housing-led solutions to homelessness. And just as you stated, these started with experiments in New York City dealing with some of the toughest candidates on the street with mental illness, substance abuse, and so forth, and placing them directly into housing in communities and finding out that that worked for them, that they actually did okay, and, um, it, and that it was a cost-effective way of treating them. And that has since then been applied to other populations as well, and, and with, with an understanding that you don't have to get people sort of housing ready in order to get them into housing, that many people... There's still some who will need more resources, but many people, the solution to, to homelessness is housing. And if given that, they will do well. So what I will turn it back to you, Tom Ruiz, as we, we wind down in our conversation here today. What have we not touched on that we should? What, what, what are the messages that you want to leave listeners with as they perhaps think about uh, problems of housing insecurity and homelessness in their own cities? What are the lessons sure. that you would uh, encourage them to take away? I, I, I would not, I, I, although I think we should say that, that the mayors don't control all the levers. Um, uh, you know, I kind of like the pressure that people place on the mayors. I think I think someone I think the idea of forcing someone to 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 take on uh, uh, leadership um, uh, in in terms of you know finding strategies to to address this crisis is, is really important. But I think people also have to be uh, critical of uh, of of 
you know, uh, the, the national government, the federal government in, in the United States and national government uh, outside of the United States. And, and state different governments countries. for that matter, and state, and right? state governments and, uh, as well, exactly. And, and so I think it's, I think people have to, to you know, if you're going to, if you're going to just uh, pressure your, your, you know, most local leader, well, that's, that's fine. But, um, but I think that you also have to advocate at a, a national level and there have, you know, in the United States, we really don't have uh, true, um, uh, you know, ownership of the issue of homelessness. I mean, HUD tends to distribute many of the housing resources and, but we, you know, in many countries, you kind of see that. You see that no one wants to own this issue. So, so actually advocating for someone to own and actually strategically plan to address it, um, it's not a crazy idea. It can be done. And, and, and so that, like, that, that's the, that's the second thing. It can be done. And actually, one thing I think that we learned through COVID is that when people want to invest resources to bring people off the streets, they find a way to do it. And, and this was a crisis that existed before COVID. And, um, and, and so many cities and, and, and so many countries have had this uh, amazing impact of bringing more people in recent history off the streets that, uh, and uh, and now they can't lose this opportunity, and and they should use this this engagement, this opportunity to engage people who who are brought off, whether it's into hotels or you know other shelters um, or uh, you know or, or temporary housing. Use this opportunity to to transition people into permanent housing, and um and 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 so that's what I would say. Like you 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 know, no one wants to send people out back to the streets, but we know. And we've shown that you could actually do something when you, um, you know, decide uh, to do it. Yeah, when you decide to do it. <laughs> uh, really Jay, much- final word to you. Yeah, I mean, this is a polarizing issue. We're in a divided country. I, we do want to bring some hope. So we're we're not naive. You know, we know how hard the work is, but we want people to know it's not hopeless. That, you know, there are strategies that are working, and 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 we hope to move the, the social service approaches forward and address this better. We've seen it done. And, and also that the proceeds of this book will go to BRC, by the way. Um, so all of the proceeds of the book will go to a nonprofit organization that's addressing homelessness. That's actually doing the work. Yeah. Uh, you've been listening to the Public Policy Channel of the New Books Network, and we have been speaking today with Jane Bainbridge and Tamaru Mamo, who are the co-authors, along with Linda Gibbs and Muzzy Rosenblatt, of How Ten Global Cities Take on Homelessness, Innovations at Work, from the University of California Press. Jay, Tamaru, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Stephen. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us.